As you're being seated, if you'll find your Bible, open it up, power it on. We're going to be in Luke chapter 8 today as we continue our series, Listen Up. Well, last Sunday uh, became an official day of mourning in the Dallas-Fort Worth area as the Dallas Cowboys, our beloved Dallas Cowboys, went down in defeat. Now, some of you say, last you just had to rip that scab off, didn't you? Well, you can't go around the grief. You have to go through the grief, okay? So just go ahead, push through it. The sun will shine again. But repeat after me, okay? Uh, it's not the end. It's just the beginning. Okay? Dak and Ezekiel are still under contract, and they'll be back next season, and there'll be many, many good years ahead. Well, you may remember that after the game... The clouds were rolled back like a scroll, and the heavens declared their displeasure because there was a terrible thunderstorm uh, that involved tornadoes and all sorts of different things. And I, I did like many of you do. I, I turned on the news and started watching the weatherman, Pete Delkus. And there were three things that he was able to help me with. Number one, he was able to help me track the storm. Number two, he was able to warn me whenever there was danger coming my way. And number three, he was able to tell people that were facing danger that they should take shelter so that they might be protected from the storm ahead. But there was one thing that he was not able to do. He was not able to cast the storm away. Now that would be a weatherman. Could you imagine that? They're over there doing the weather forecast, and they say, look, uh, we have a Doppler red storm heading our way, but I really think we've had plenty of rain lately, so I'm going to send this up to Oklahoma, okay? I mean, can you imagine having a weatherman like that? If you have somebody that can cast the storm away, you might want to pay attention to that person. Well, Jesus' neighborhood had weather patterns that are very similar to ours. It's not uncommon in the area of Galilee where Jesus spent most of his time to have these storms just kind of pop up out of nowhere. When we get to Luke chapter 8, Jesus is quite popular at this time. Everywhere he goes, he is drawing large crowds. He also now has some very significant enemies. He has some people that are calling him Satan. It's never good whenever people start calling you Satan, okay? That never makes you feel real good. Uh, His family also thought that he was a little bit crazy. There's a passage in Mark where they actually come to get him take him back to Nazareth because they think he's gone beyond the boundaries of sanity. So Jesus is dealing with a lot, and he tells the disciples, let's, let's go have some retreat time. Let's get away from the crowds. Let's have some retreat time. And in chapter 8 and verse 22, here's what the Bible describes. One day, he and the disciples got into a boat, and he told them. Now notice what he told them. He told them, let's cross over to the other side of the lake. And so they set out. Now, did he give them a clear instruction? Yes, he did. Did he give them a clear destination? Yes, he did. Did he go with them in the journey? Yes, he did. Let's get in this boat and let's go to the other side of the lake. Then a beautiful scene ensues. You have Jesus in the boat with the disciples. The sun is going down. The stars are beginning to flicker. The moonlight glistening off the beautiful Sea of Galilee. And there, the sailboats that are traveling 
can be seen through the, through the glistening light of the moon, and Jesus and the disciples are going across the lake. I would imagine they were laughing. They had just finished a great day of ministry. They were probably talking about all that God had done throughout the day, maybe even enjoying a bit of food. And as they were on this journey, the story continues in verse 23. As they were sailing, he fell asleep. Then a fierce windstorm came down on the lake. They were being swamped and were in danger. So four things happened. Number one, Jesus is wiped out. And so whenever he gets in the boat, the gentle lapping of the waves against the side of the boat began to slowly drift him to sleep. And so Jesus found himself in a situation that some of you can relate to right now. Jesus was falling asleep. He was having a hard time keeping his eyes open. We're only four minutes into this thing, okay? You can stay awake a little longer. So, so, so Jesus falls asleep. Secondly, there's a fierce windstorm that comes down on the lake. The Sea of Galilee is about 700 feet below sea level. It is surrounded by mountains. It's in this deep valley. So what will happen is the winds will begin to blow throughout the mountains and it will create a funnel-like effect that draws those winds downward. And when the different temperatures of air meet, there are often these storms that just pop up out of nowhere and they can be very violent storms with very, very high winds. Well, thirdly, we see that the boat began to take on water. Now, when you're in a boat and it begins to take on water, that's never a good thing. Now, the disciples were equipped to deal with this. About six of Jesus' disciples were fishermen. That means if you like fishing, you have something in common with Jesus because it appears that Jesus really liked fishing. So the next time you go out fishing and people try to give you a hard time about it, say, hey, I just want to be like Jesus, okay? I'm going fishing. So, so the disciples, they had grown up on this lake. They knew it well. They had been through storms like this before. But there's a fourth event within the verse, danger. This storm was a little bit different. They were in real danger here. This was not a made-up crisis. Water was coming into the boat. The winds were blowing the boat around. And the disciples were in real danger. The danger was real, but so too was Christ's instruction. Jesus had told them We're going to the other side. He had given them a clear mandate, a clear destination. And though the danger was real, so too was God's instruction. You see, sometimes God gives us clear instructions. And as we go about following those instructions, we find ourselves in a situation that is dangerous. That is not the time to abandon faith. That is not the time to begin shaking your fist at the Lord Almighty. Whenever you find yourself in the danger, that is the time to glance at your problem and gaze at your God and to remember what God has told you to do and what God has called you to be. Well, the story continues in verse 24. They came and woke him up saying, Master, Master, we're going to die. Mark actually includes the idea here that they came to him and said, Don't you care? Don't you even care that we're about to die? 
Now, it strikes me as a little bit humorous here that throughout this entire storm, Jesus was just over there sleeping. And I, I don't know if he was kind of in and out, if he was uh, you know, keeping one eye on the disciples' activity and then also sleeping at the same time. But, but they come to him, and they, they wake him up. They're in a panic, and they're like, Jesus, we're going to die. This is the end of the road. We need to say goodbye. We're, we're about to leave this planet. Now, Jesus knew something. He knew they weren't going to die. He didn't come to earth. He didn't go through the whole story of Mary and Joseph and Bethlehem and the manger. He didn't come to earth to drown in the Sea of Galilee. Jesus came, on earth, came to earth to die for our sins. He knew why he was here. He knew where he was going. And you know, there's an amazing reality that when you know why you're here and you know where you're going, fear decreases and calm increases. Do you know why you're here? Do you know where you're going? When you know those two things, fear diminishes. Faith increases. Well, the disciples, they had no calm. They were in a mass panic. They were certain, this is it. We're going to die. And so they wake up Jesus and then he gets up, the next part of the verse says, he gets up, rebukes the wind and the raging waves, so they ceased, and there was calm. Now, now what do you think the disciples' reaction was? How would you respond if you were in the boat? I would imagine the disciples were kind of like, whoa, <laughs> did we really just see this? We woke him up, he spoke. It's done. It's calm. What, what happened here? I love Simon Peter because he's just always such a live wire. I imagine Simon Peter was over there going, Jesus, I knew you would do it all along. I was trying to tell them they were supposed to have faith, but they wouldn't listen to me. And they were looking at Simon Peter going, you were just as scared as we were, man. You know? I can imagine the reaction of the disciples at this point. Now, everything here sets up to a four-word sermon. Make sure you don't miss this. Jesus preaches a four-word sermon. He said to them, Where is your faith? Now, I know a lot of you would like me to be more like Jesus and to preach four-word sermons, okay? <laughs> Where is your faith? Now, the disciples should have had more faith. Because he had told them where they were going. You see, the disciples thought that their problem was the storm. And the storm was bad, but it was not their real problem. Their real problem was the unbelief that was in them. The storm was dangerous, but the unbelief was even more dangerous. You say, how's that, Lash? Well, the storm had the ability to take their lives. Unbelief has the ability to take your soul. Over and over again, whenever you read the teachings of Jesus, he calls his followers to one thing. He calls you to belief. He calls you to place your faith in him. One of the things that I love about Jesus is he doesn't just give these teachings and then say, now go do it. 
Good luck with that. Jesus gives teachings, but he calls us to believe. He calls us to a point of surrender where we place our faith in him, place our trust in him, and it is when we place our trust in him that he then teaches us that he will empower you to live out the teachings that he has given you. Time and time again, Jesus calls his listeners to do one thing, believe, place your faith in me. You say, Lesh, what does God want from me? He wants you to put your faith in him. Trust him. He's even given you the destination. You know where you're headed. And because of that, you're able to rejoice in hope despite the circumstances, because no matter what you're going through in life, nothing can steal the destination from you. You're headed to heaven. You have a hope that outlives you, and you rejoice in that hope. Now, the disciples should have had more faith because Jesus was in, in the boat with them. I mean, they should have, they should have had, had more faith. You know, one of the things that I think we as Christians need to realize is that following God does not exempt you from storms. The Christian life is not a three-hour tour where you sit right back and enjoy a spell. Sometimes in the Christian life, the weather starts getting rough, and the tiny boat that is your life is tossed. Okay, I'll stop with the Gilligan Islands illusions here. God doesn't always give us the answers to our whys. You ever found yourself in a difficult set of circumstance, and you call out to God and say, God, why? Why me? Why him? Why her? I don't get this, Lord. Why? God rarely gives us the answers to our whys, but He always gives us His presence within our whys. Jesus didn't tell them, hey, you guys get in the boat and go to the other side of the lake. I'm going to take a limo around the lake and I'll meet you on the other side. Jesus told them, hey, let's get in the boat and let's go to the other side. In other words, Jesus was telling them, I'm in this with you. I'm going to the other side with you. I'm right here beside you. Did Jesus know that the storm was going to come up? If you're theologically sound, yes, okay? He knew it. But he was going to be in the boat right with them through the storms. You know, life has a lot of different kinds of metaphorical storms. Some of those storms are self-induced. The other day, I got on a scale. And I discovered that between the inauguration, or between the election and the inauguration, I gained five pounds. Now, it's not Donald Trump's fault. It's not Barack Obama's fault. I'm not going to get a poster and go marching about my weight gain. It's my fault, okay? I, I was too generous in my calorie consumption throughout the holidays. And I was lazy in my exercise program throughout the holidays. And because of that, I now have 
five extra pounds that I've got to cut back and I've, I've got to do something, something about. You know, uh, we live in a society where it always seems like there has to be somebody to blame. We always have to make sure that we're not held responsible and somebody has to be held responsible and we always have to find somebody to blame. But we need to realize that the decisions that we make today determine the opportunities that are available for you tomorrow. And a lot of times we make decisions that bring about storms into our lives. That's why it's so important that you spend daily time in the Word of God. It's so important that you spend daily time in prayer, talking to the Lord, and that you walk in the Spirit and not in your own flesh, so that you may be able to see circumstances in such a way that you respond with a godliness, with a behavior and attitude and action that honors God rather than bringing dishonor to God. Because whenever we turn to our own way and we begin taking matters into our own, own hands, we make unwise decisions and frequently we deal with consequences because of decisions that we have made. And some of us in this room today, we're dealing with situations in our life and it's nobody else's fault but our own. We also need to come to grips with that. I'm not going to blame my mom because she potty trained me wrongly, okay? I'm not going to bring, blame my dad. I'm not going to blame uh, this person or that person. I'm going to take responsibility for the self-induced storms that I bring into my life. Sometimes the storms that we deal with are others-induced. I realize that in this room, some of you had really rough childhoods. You can't pick your parents, And so, through your life, you've had people do things to you that are wrong. You may have even been a victim in some way where you were violated. You were treated in a way that is just pure evil. And so, every day of your life, you live with the consequences of a storm that was brought into your life by somebody else. We have to understand that whenever we act... It doesn't just affect us, that you are not an island unto yourself, that we live in community. And whenever you act in a way that is ungodly, it doesn't just affect you, but it affects other people around you. And whenever you turn away from God and you do things that are hurtful, the one that it hurts the most is usually the one that you love the most. And whenever you start doing things that are unwise and and evil in the eyes of God, it will bring unintended consequences into the lives of people all around you. And many of us deal with storms that are others-induced. We all deal with storms sometimes that are God-induced. You say, huh? God would put me through a storm? Yeah. Read your Bible. You see, over and over again, God allows or brings His people into a season that we might call a season of storm. Why? Well, the Scriptures teach us that we are to be patient in affliction. Whenever we find ourselves in the storm, we are to be steadfast. We're not to run, we're not to retreat, but we are to be patient in the face of that affliction. Why? Because the difficulties in life grow you, stretch you, refocus you. The difficulties in life 
mature you to a point of godliness. And when God calls you into that season of storm, it's not because God doesn't love you. It's because God is building something within you, and He is building you into a person that can be used as a part of His divine plan. And frequently, the greatest pains that we have experienced in life become the strengths that we bring into life. Whenever you've gone through great pain, you have great strength. And that great strength that you have can be shared with hurting people around you and provides you a unique opportunity to speak love and grace into the lives of others. Finally, some storms are natural storms. They're part of the natural order. Like our story today, no one had sinned. It was a thunderstorm. It was a thunderstorm that came onto the scene that created great calamity. Storms are a reality of life, but so too are Jesus' promise. Jesus promised us that He will never leave us nor forsake us. And so if you are in a storm right now, know this, He's in the boat with you. In 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 6, Paul reminds Timothy to keep his heart ablaze. And then he says to him in verse 7, For God, for God has not given us a spirit of fearfulness. That spirit of fearfulness is not the gift of God. He hasn't given you that spirit. Instead, He has given you a spirit of power, love, and sound judgment. Well, now there's a third thing here, and that is the reality that even though the disciples should have had more faith, in the darkness, their fear became greater than their faith. How many of you watched the inauguration this week? A lot of us did. As we were going through the inauguration, one of the news commentators said about President Trump, he made a lot of promises, and now he has to go try to keep those promises. I can guarantee you this, whenever human beings make promises, they won't keep all their promises. You know why? Because we're all sinners. We will always let people down. But you know, there's somebody else that has made a lot of promises, and that is God. Jesus said something like, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Isaiah said, as a prophet of God, that those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. Paul wrote that God will supply all of our needs according or from His glorious riches. In Romans chapter 8, Paul wrote, what can separate us from the love of God? Nothing can separate us. Jesus, on several different occasions, promised His disciples this. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And in our story today, he had promised his 12 disciples, we're going to the other side. Let's get in the boat because we're going to the other side. The difference between God and people is that God always keeps his promises. God is faithful. He is one that you can place your faith in with absolute certainty that your faith is well-placed. It's easy in times of darkness to forget about the promises that you received 
during times of light. It's easy during those storm periods to get caught up in fear and lose our faith. So Jesus asked the disciples, where is your faith? And they were fearful and amazed, asking one another, the Bible says in verse 25, who can this be? He commands even the winds and the waves, and they obey him. I know this, that behind every person that walks in this door on Sunday mornings, there's a story. And for some of you right now, you're going through a difficult time. You're in the midst of a storm. Maybe it's a marital storm. You're not getting along right now. Maybe you're thinking about ending it. It just seems like nothing's going right within the marriage. And so you find yourself in that period of darkness. Maybe it's a health storm. The doctor came in and gave you a report. And you have a diagnosis that is challenging. You have a diagnosis that may take you through surgery, through therapy. You have a diagnosis that is hurtful. Maybe right now in your health, you're stressed out. You just got so much to do. You're tired all the time. You're wound up all the time. Your brain just never seems to shut down. You're stressed out. Maybe today you're depressed. I'm told that about three, four weeks after Christmas is the peak time for people to experience depression. So right now, maybe you find yourself in a valley and you're depressed. Maybe you have an occupational storm. Will I have a job tomorrow? There's a lot going on at my work right now, and I don't know if I'll still be employed. And I don't have that much money in savings. Maybe uh, you're, you're looking for a job, and you're like, I just can't seem to find the right place to work. Maybe you have a job, and your occupational storm is, oh, no, i got to go to work tomorrow. i got to face those people. What a storm. Maybe you have a spiritual storm right now. You find yourself spiritually in a place where things are just dry. And you remember those seasons whenever you would walk into church and sing, the, sing with the band and the Holy Spirit was just so thick upon you. But right now, things are just a struggle. It seems as though you're just trying to take it one step at a time. Don't be afraid. Don't be overwhelmed. Keep persevering in faith. Where is your faith? You realize that your faith will never be greater than the object or person in which you place it. If you place your faith in weak things, then they will disappoint. And whenever they disappoint, your faith will grow smaller. But whenever you face, place your faith in God, you will find your faith growing and growing and growing. And you will grow as well because of the faith that you have placed in God. Because you persevered when it was easy to run. Because you were patient in affliction. God will grow you and use you in ways that you could never imagine. Where is your faith? Place your faith in the God who spoke the universe into existence. Place your faith in the God who set you on this journey that we call life. Place your faith in the one who can stand up in the boat and cast away the storm. Place your faith in the God 
that holds together all things, the sustainer of all. Place your faith in the God who brought His grace near to you and realize that that grace has brought you safe thus far and that grace will lead you home. Your job is not to be God. Your job is to trust God. Where is your faith? Trust Him. He will lead you through. Would you be so kind as to bow your head right where you are? The band's going to come and we'll have a time of commitment. Before we sing, I just want to ask you this question. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out. But I think sometimes it's good to just go ahead and recognize where we are. And so if you're in a storm today, whatever type of storm it might be, again, I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to pray for you. Would you just lift your hand right where you are and say, yeah, Lash, I'm, I'm in a storm today. Just lift your hand right where you are. I find myself in a storm in my life. I find myself struggling right now, and it's difficult. Just lift your hand right where you are. It's a storm time. I want to pray for you. You can put your hands down. Father, I pray for those that are part of our church family that we love who are struggling. I pray that they will not be held captive by fear but instead may they be freed in faith. I pray that they will trust you and realize that you are in the boat with them, that you will never leave us nor forsake us. I pray that they might experience the growth and the wisdom that is gained from going through the season of struggle. And Lord, I pray that you will allow us to be able to use the pain of our past as the strength of our today. Help us, Father, to be able to speak wisdom and love into the lives of those that are hurting around us. Father, help us not to be overcome by the darkness, but help us to realize that the promises that were made in the light remain in the darkness. So therefore, Lord, may we rejoice in hope and understand that any circumstance that we go through in life is temporary. Lord, I know that Though it's temporary, it can be painful. It can be a struggle. And so we pray that today you might comfort hearts that grieve. We pray that you might bring healing to those that are ill. And I pray, Father, for those that find themselves in a relational storm. A storm that affects their marriage. A storm that affects their relationship with their family, their relationship with their friends. I pray that you might bring healing and calm to the conflict and that relationships might be restored. Help us, Lord, to think the best of one another. Help us, Father, to realize that we are all unique creations made by you, for you. And so, Lord, may we walk through the days together, encouraging each other, caring for one another, inspiring one another towards greater godliness. And as we do, may we not walk in fear as those who have no hope, but may we walk in faith knowing that our hope is forever anchored in you and you are the one who stands up and calms the storm. So we trust you, follow you, we worship you, Father, 
and we sing praises to you. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. And all God's people said,